0: Recovery Elevator, episode 197.
1: I think I inherently know what's right and wrong to do in certain situations. But if I'm not in the present, in now, then I'm not listening. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking up on those signs. So, you know, the, the big, big thing is do the next right thing.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. Quick disclaimer, this podcast episode is gonna kick major ass. This is the first time behind the microphone after the Recovery Elevator Peru trip, and I am excited to be back and be with you. On today's podcast episode, we've got Aaron. He's 39 years old. He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He's been sober since October 16th, 2017. He also talks about in his interview a time when he sent a text message, which he thought was going to go to his sponsor, but ended up going to the president of his company. It's a fantastic interview. You're going to love it. A couple things to cover before we get started. Nashville registration is now open and we've already had several people register, which is fantastic. I won't necessarily be dedicating a full episode for an entire recap of the trip, However, if you would like a full recap day by day, there's a fantastic podcast episode from Tamar and Garrett. It's called After the Elevator. Just go to iTunes, Google After the Elevator podcast, and they do a long recap of what it's like to go on a sober travel trip with a group of 20 recovery warriors. And guess what? These trips aren't over. It was only about a couple days into the Peru trip when people started saying, hey, where are we going next? So I put up a couple polls in the Café Ari groups, and it's looking like an Asian adventure trip. That's what they want. We're looking at Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, late 2019. I'm just planting the seed right now, but there is a chance to go check out that part of the world with other like-minded individuals who don't drink, and we're not going to compromise our sobriety, and it's going to kick ass, just to let you know. So if you want to be kept up to speed on the sober travel trips, these incredible itineraries, go to recoveryelevator.com, join the newsletter. Okay, let's get started. In my segment of this podcast episode, I'm going to share with you one of the most powerful moments of the Recovery Elevator Peru trip for myself. It was my goal to put on a community outreach event, a program. I had no idea what this was going to look like for for a group of people in Cusco. Again, this is just an idea I had in my head. And I had help down there with Danny from Proving Hearts, a nonprofit based out of Boulder, Colorado, and a couple of local contacts. And they said, okay, we've got a room at a high school scheduled, booked out. Um, we're showing up at 3 o'clock. And uh, yeah, let's spread the word about addiction. So I approached three people that were on the trip and I said, Hey, would you mind sharing your story for just a couple minutes? We're going to talk about addiction and then we're going to answer some questions being bada boom. We're going to go have dinner afterward and uh, that should be a wrap. What happened during this event, it blew my mind. It was one of the most powerful recovery addiction events I've ever been a part of. And it's indicative of the pulse of recovery as a whole, where we're at on the planet earth. In terms of addiction and how we need to get some stuff off our chests and when I say we I mean everybody not just people with drinking problems so we show up to this event and I don't want to go out and say standing room only but there was way more people than we thought we had to pull chairs from other rooms one of the people that I had asked to talk was like Paul no freaking way I was like you know what I totally understand not a problem and so we got the event started I got up there there was a translator and i said hey my name's paul and want to talk to you guys about a band called third eye blind i'm just kidding i didn't mention the band but i said hey my name's paul i shared a little bit about my story like a four to five minute convinced version something like you know what i am addicted to alcohol if i start drinking again i find it incredibly hard to stop once i've started guess what it's not a moral failing i'm not a weak person this is disease This disease does not segregate. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be any walk of life and fall victim to becoming an alcoholic if you drink enough. And you saw the ears start lifting up, the eyes start paying attention because addiction is something that they just don't understand. Hell, I've said it on this podcast that addiction is something that I don't fully understand. Western and Eastern medicine don't fully understand. And in fact, listen to this, episode 200, I've got the cure To addiction. Well, what I think the cure to addiction is, and I cannot wait to drop that podcast episode. So I talk about four to five minutes, and we have another person named James. He did an interview a couple years ago, I believe. And then two more gals spoke, and then we opened it up for Q and A. One of the questions was the typical, like, "Hey, are you asking for yourself or your friend?" That was like, "Hey, you know, uh, I've got this friend who uh, drinks a lot. Like, is this kind of alcoholic type behavior and stuff?" It was a great question, and I didn't want to field all the questions, so I allowed the attendees of the trip to raise their hands if they wanted to ask the questions. So we had a couple, you know, like breaking the ice type questions, and then this gal raises her hand, and we say, Yes, what's your question? And she stands up, walks to the front of the room, and just starts talking. This woman opens up for the very first time in her life, about her struggles with alcohol and other substances, not only to people who were already in recovery, who have a lot in common with her, but to the general public that was attending this event. You could see the trepidation, the fear, the anxiety on her physical self. But as she started talking, her heart was guiding her, it wasn't her thoughts. Her heart pulled her to the front of the room, and she started talking. She said, guys, I've been in recovery for five years. This is something we have to talk about. After a couple minutes of her just kicking major ass on stage, her daughter comes up and puts her arm around her mom. Tears are flowing out of both the daughter and the mom's eyes. There's probably not a dry eye at the event, and... The daughter was there just supporting her mom while she talked about this, while you could see the physical energy just releasing off this woman. And the love and support in the room was absolutely visceral. And I don't remember this gal's name, and I don't think she's ever going to hear this podcast episode, but sweetheart, you did more to propel recovery and your community than you will ever know. So after this woman spoke, Again, there are no dry eyes in this room. I said, are there any other questions? And then the hands just started to pop up, and I had a feeling these weren't questions. So we call on a gentleman. He comes up, and he starts talking about how addiction has played a devastating role in his family. This gentleman was a normal drinker, if I recall correctly, but his father, his uncle, his family has all been affected by addiction. After this gentleman came up to the front of the room, I took a seat over to the side. As he was talking, I put my head in my hands, and the brain just started going. I was saying, dear God, how do I fix this? How do I come to a solution? How can we fix addiction that is just creating a devastating swath of pain across the planet? It was a moment where I accepted that I will be dedicating the rest of my life to this cause, And while asking for answers of how to fix this issue, it hit me. This is what it looks like. We are fixing the issue. One conversation at a time. We came together as a community, both alcoholics, non-alcoholics, normal drinkers, just the community, and we started talking about the problem. And guys, this event was scheduled for an hour and 15 minutes, and we could have been there till probably right now there was still 15 hands raised that we didn't get to. And I don't think they were questions about alcohol or addiction. I think they were people who wanted to share their stories, their experiences with addiction, etc. They've never talked about this. Again, addiction is something of the unknown in Peru and a lot of countries on the planet. We could have kept going all night, but our translator said, Hey Paul, the bus is outside waiting for you. We got to get to dinner. In 2018, we have a full arsenal of tools in the recovery toolkit to combat addiction, but I think this is the most powerful one that we have, which is simply an open dialogue forum with non-drinkers, with normal drinkers, with problem drinkers. You get the point. This is what recovery looks like. It was powerful. I had no idea how powerful it was going to be. So there's something big that's missing currently the way we are treating addiction. And we can't beat ourselves up for this. Look, we are pioneers in recovery right now. I think in a couple hundred years down the road, we're going to look back to this time, 2018. And then in 1935, AA was founded by Bill W. and say, look, that was a great start. They got it right. So what I think is missing is, okay, AA, fantastic. Al-Anon, fantastic. We got to bridge the gap. We need to have an official forum to bridge the gap, get all those people in one room. In fact, several people have asked even during the trip, hey, are spouses allowed to come on these recovery retreats and meetups? I'm still in the process of digesting that. As far as like a trip to Asia or the next international trip, I'm going to keep it with just people in recovery, but I will or I would like to create more meetup events where we get everybody in the same room. Everybody in the same room looks like myself, a person with a drinking problem, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a neighbor, an uncle, you get it, my standard poodle Ben. Addiction is an issue. Nope, I'm going to escalate it to what it really is. It is a worldwide epidemic that I think is going to take a couple hundred years to address. And like I said, I'm kind of putting the carrot on the stick right now for episode 200, where I'm going to go in depth to... What I think is the cure to addiction. All right. Like I said, this episode has already kicked major ass. You're going to love this interview with Aaron. He's a rock star. But before we hear from Aaron, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the recovery elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group. Which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then, you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook, which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Aaron, how are you? Doing great. How are you, Paul? Aaron, I'm doing great. Let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Oh, my sobriety date is October sixteenth, two thousand and seventeen. That's uh when I when I got honest with myself and um I've been in recovery since uh since November of two thousand and sixteen. So it took me a good year before it really it really took
0: gotcha well i can't wait to learn more about that and hear more about your journey um, but before we get any further give listeners a little background about yourself maybe where you're from what you do for a living your age do you have a family and most importantly what do you like to do for fun aaron
1: well i am uh, 39 years old i live in milwaukee wisconsin I live here with my my wife and two very young children i've got a, a four-year-old daughter and a, a four-month-old son I actually uh just kind of went the entrepreneurial route and joined a very small firm that does managed services within HR and recruitment over just over a year ago and uh so I've been doing that but my background professionally has been in that space uh just for much larger companies uh, and for fun um that has uh that has expanded quite a bit since getting sober you know prior it used to be going to the pub and hanging out with people were I, I felt like I could finally be myself, and now I'm finally uh, getting getting down to the stuff that I used to like to do when I was ki- like a kid. So,
0: and what are some um, of those things?
1: Yeah, a lot of home improvement, actually, using kind of little artistic skill, <laughs> you know, here and there. Okay. You know, getting out hiking, biking, kayaking. You know, getting active, gardening, like a whole bunch of things that have to do with activities that don't use a whole lot of your brain, but you know, get you in touch with uh, HP.
0: There you go. And what are some home improvement projects you got going on or some that you've done?
1: Oh, I left myself a ton of them. Uh, so coming into sobriety, I actually added <laughs> an addition onto my house. I'll take
0: care of this when so I get that, sober.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I uh, finished you know, detailing you know, most of the house since uh, since being sober, listening to your podcast, as a matter of fact, redid the entire front yard, backyard, you know, organized the garage into a workshop. So no cars have been in there for, <laughs> I don't know, a good year now. But yeah, I mean, there's a uh, the whole lot of things. I'm actually um, revamping a 1987 pop-up camper right now. And it's been an interesting little project where some people have, you know, their hobby car and whatnot. I took my 30-year-old camper that I've had for 10 years, and I've been uh, detailing it and getting it ready for when my kids can travel.
0: I love hearing about where people go down different avenues when they're sober, of how they fill their time, the hobbies, how they can use their creativity, the creativity part of their brain. I love hearing that. So thanks for sharing that with us, Aaron. And and give listeners a little background about your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drank, did you ever attempt to regulate, and yeah, take a little bit of time to get it up to speed.
1: Yeah, honestly, uh, I had been pretty much an everyday drinker uh, since college. And I went to a school that really promoted, you know, the uh, the, the drinking culture. And, and once I started, you know, drinking uh, on a regular basis, it was more of a life way than anything else. I mean, it definitely started off with a bit of social anxiety, and, and that being taken away when I did have drinks and got into the party scene, and you know, certainly made a whole lot of whole lot of acquaintance friends you know in that uh in that realm And after college it just stayed around i mean i made it part of uh you know my work habits taking people out to happy hours and you know i was, I was regularly you know at the at the bar uh if i wasn't at the bar i was at home drinking you know everything that i did socially you know what from from barbecuing to you know even even when i did really poor home improvement in the past <laughs> involved drinking and it, uh, it it definitely progressed you know i, I uh i definitely uh, you know didn't necessarily know how to regulate at a certain points i always was under the impression that i was smart enough to you know do that and do other things it was kind of like being a little trickster at times you know but like i said i mean as i got older and i started getting more responsibilities it really started to come to my attention that it was becoming a problem you know um Having kids definitely, definitely woke me up a little bit. I actually, it really woke me up when it, when it woke me up, you know, when the baby would start crying in the middle of the night and, you know, I'd still be, you know, three sheets of the wind and having to change a diaper and shaking and, you know, started getting, uh you know, the physical symptoms, the cold sweats at night, the, the inability to concentrate, you know, when I, when I needed to. And that, and I bit off a lot with, uh, you know, trying to, trying to add on to the house uh, at a time when my, you know, first child is very, very young, you know, putting my, my family into a, a construction zone was not exactly the, the brightest idea. And that's, of course, had a bunch of complications that went with it. And, you know, work started to suffer and all sorts of things just seemed to be going downhill. And uh, that's when I decided to start regulating. And when I started regulating, it was like, oh, well, you know, if I, face over all day then at the end of the day I can have a treat you know or you know if I worked out then that that merited two beers you know and I even read a a book that was something to the effect of how to cure you know uh, problematic drinking in 30 days Hmm. that was just like okay well don't drink for a week and then when you start back up again only have two you know (laughs) and uh, it, it said that it helped a bunch of people all that I think it helped people do is kind of lie about their habits um you know, for another so long until they actually came to the realization that, uh, that, yeah, this can't stand, you know. So I finally came to the, the realization that, uh, something needed to be done as much urging from my, uh, from my wife. I used to hide a lot of, uh, a lot of booze to make sure she didn't know that, uh, that how much I had been drinking. So for months after, you know, starting to go to meetings and whatnot, you know, I'd be finding, bottles and cans and all this other shit in the basement, you know, for months afterwards, just like, Oh, where'd this come from? <laughs> you know? So that didn't exactly help the trust factor with my wife when I'd pull a bunch of cans out of the basement and she'd just be like, where'd those come from? And I'd be like, I didn't know, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it, it reared its ugly head as a, as a problem. Even after starting to get sober.
0: Yeah. And Aaron, I know a lot of listeners, including myself, when you were getting us up to speed, there were just nodding their heads going, yep, yep. yep, you know, I have not, I don't have any children. I have not changed a baby's diaper when my hands are shaking, but I, I've I've been in those similar situations. I remember waking up, you know, in in Spain in the morning to get, to go to the restroom in the middle of the night. Right. And I'm, and I'm, I'm turning the light switch on and my hands are shaking. I I drink a little bit more just so I can go back to bed. And so you mentioned before Mm -hmm. October 16th, 2017, You, for about a year before that, you tried to get sober. Was that a rock bottom moment, or was this just like a culmination of those events that you just listed?
1: It was a culmination. I mean, if I look back at it, the rock bottom moments that I should have had were plentiful, but I, I just kind of skipped along the bottom as long as I could. And I really did a disservice to myself just getting away with things. You know, even when it seemed like I was in trouble, I was able to go ahead and wiggle myself out you know so i've I've lived a very blessed life in that regard but you know for the most part you know it gave me a false sense of accomplishment if Mm -hmm. you will and so the really the rock bottom for me was realizing that my life had become unmanageable
0: and and when was that in your journey
1: that you know it's it's funny it was right before i went to italy with my family (laughs) and um, i was like there's no way i'm Quitting drinking before I go to Italy. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I asked that because
0: usually it's like a definitive moment when we realize, oh shit, the gig is up. And so you mentioned it was right before Italy, right? Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah. My, my company at the time was was not doing well. So I knew that there, there was extra anxiety on my job, you know, and, and a lot of very toxic behavior going on at work, uh, at home. My house is under construction. There was just no rest, and I was trying to drink my way through it. And every day waking up, you know, with this fog and just a hangover and then just waiting to go ahead and have beers. I mean, I used to, I used to literally have um, beers in my basement, the, the shandies and rattlers, rattlers. Mm-hmm. And I used to call those my morning beers so that I could go ahead and actually function. And at a certain point, you just look at your life and you're just like, dude, this is just not where I want to be. And, you know, I, I agreed to go to a couple meetings with my, uh, you know, my wife and, there was one Wednesday where I'm just like, look, I'm going to go is right after Thanksgiving and I went and for that first meeting, I looked around the table and I was just like, you're a loser, 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 loser. I'm better than all you. <laughs> and uh, I just didn't get anything out of it until I was at about my third meeting and I was like, wow, these guys, these guys really actually know what they're talking about. And I started listening and I started um, contributing to the conversation and realized there are a lot of people out there who's going through what I was and they could help.
0: Aaron, I did the exact same thing at my first AA meeting, and went around the room and said, D- "Multiple DUIs, not me. Prison time, not me. Divorce, bankruptcy, not me." And just a couple days later, I ate a big piece of humble pie. And you're right. The next couple of meetings, I went in and started focusing on the similarities and not the differences. And, and listeners, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Aaron in person. Uh, he came in town a couple weeks ago for a wedding. Uh, we met at a coffee shop, had some great laughs. And there's a couple things that we chatted about that I want to talk about during this is talk to me about the Gatorade dry mix and vodka in the garage.
1: <laughs> okay. And, yeah, and this was like the one.
0: moderation technique, right? Where like It was like the last straw on the camel's back, something yeah. like that.
1: So I, I was in recovery, obviously, I, you know, kind of going through the motions. I really hadn't, you know, and this is at a point in recovery where you're really starting to discover your emotions, but you still have that self-talk that goes on in your head. So it's almost like you have a split personality, right? You know, it's just oh, like, yeah. oh, just do it. You The things you say outwardly, your insides don't match your outside at that point. And that's where I was, where it's just like the things that I would say to people and the actions that I would portray outwardly did not match my thoughts and my feelings inwardly. And I think that was the, the big thing. And in the, in the big book, it said, hey, if you don't think you're an actual alcoholic, you know, try some regulated drinking. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that in all this self-improvement, I was cleaning out the garage and I came across a tote of, um, of camping gear. And I started going through it. And I had camped in a few years just because, you know, I, I had a child. You know, <laughs> I was doing all this other stuff and in that box or in that tote was, it was a box, not a bottle, a box of alcohol, a box of vodka, like a, you know, a box of wine would be, you know? And, uh, you know, first of all, you know, pulling that out, you know, the first reaction that any normal person would have would be like, ugh, get rid of this shit. (laughs) But my first reaction was, oh, wow, I should hide this. (laughs) And so,
0: you might be an alcoholic if,
1: (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so, uh, I ended up putting it on the shelf behind some other stuff. And I was just like, you know what? All these other people, they have, you know, multiple DUIs and they've got all these other problems and they've lost everything in their life. I haven't done any of that. You know, let's try some regulated drinking. And so for three nights in a row, I went out to the garage pretending to work and I had solo cups out there. So I filled a little bit of, no, <laughs> when I say a little bit, I'm also an alcoholic. It was like half a cup of and then I was just like, well, what do I mix this with? And it's in that tote was powdered Gatorade. I threw that in there and I had hooked up a little sink to a hose in my garage for for washing stuff. And I was just like, oh, I'll go ahead and just kind of mix this up. And there we go. And for three nights in a row, I'm just like, look, I can have one. And on the third night, I, just, I think I damn near got caught by my wife. And I just started thinking about it. And I was just like, you know what? i'm just kind of an asshole because i'm lying to everybody like um and i know you said please limit the profanity but for the sake of the argument uh, I, I really started thinking about this and i'm just like is this really normal do do normal people come out to their garage in secret and drink you know boxed vodka with powdered gatorade and hose water in secret You know, it's just, and I had, I literally had an argument with myself. I had an argument with that, that inner self-talk secretive little thing in my brain. You know, I think you have a, it's Pedro for you. Is that right? Gary. Sometimes I call myself Pedro. Or Gary, Gary. Yeah. But yeah, I had a, I had an argument with that. I'm just like, well, what would I say to a friend if I, if I saw them doing this? And I got real honest with myself real fast. And I literally had an audible argument with myself. You know, I said, oh, it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. Look at what you're doing, you know. And that was kind of my breaking point, you know. And the next next day I went to a meeting and I said, hey, listen, guys, I've, I've relapsed. And here's the situation. Everybody was super supportive. And since then I have not had a drop.
0: I can just picture you outside in the garage, like taking a hammer and just like pounding on the wall to make noise. So your family inside the house, Oh, he's out there building something, you know, and convincing yourself. And then you're having an audible conversation saying, look, this is not right. Cause you're, I love how you said the insides don't match the outsides. And we all reach that point. We start becoming more conscious than unconscious. And it sounds like the next day you took a huge step forward after you, after you went through that self diagnosis and yeah, tell us what happened after that.
1: Of that that's when kind of the you know people say don't quit before the miracle started, and that's what started happening. Um, I really started to you know take take my program and, and the big big thing for me is really AA. It's the big book. It's uh, you know twelve and twelve. You know in reading through these things, you can understand them. You can understand the lessons in there conceptually, but until you start feeling them, they really don't mean a whole lot. You know, I mean it's it's something that you you aim at, and since then, you know everything from you know, understanding what it is to, you know, self forget, and then become part of something, you know, like nature, or uh, a group of people, or for that matter, just God's divine creation, you know, whatever the case might be, um, you start to get that you start to get those, those feelings, and you start to understand yourself. And that's really where where things went I understood you know I started to understand what these emotions that I was feeling what what those little butterflies in your stomach really were you know and that's part of your nervous system that's part of your your subconscious you know that's it's your intuition telling you something and for me that's that's a connection to HP so I think I inherently know what's right and wrong to do in certain situations but if I'm not in the present in now then I'm not listening to it. you know I'm not, I'm not I'm not picking up on those signs so you know the, the big Big thing is do the next right thing.
0: Aaron, and you just dropped me, a, that
1: really
0: Yeah, you sorry to interrupt, you just dropped a huge value bomb right there. With intuition, we have this intuition built in over millions of years of evolution in our human DNA. And if we use our intuition, which we can everybody has it, but we can only use that if we're in the present moment. We know what to do. I love what you said there. And sorry to interrupt you there. Keep keep going.
1: No, and it's ever since then things have started to happen. You know, they say that HP will only give you as much as you can handle. And and ever since then, you know, things have not seemed like that big of a deal, if you will, you know, it's, I'm able to handle them in the present moment and I'm able to go ahead and diagnose things and know what to do. I said you, one of the promises, basically your your intuition will know what to do in situations that used to baffle you. And that I really started to understand. And so you know, are these extravagant promises? We think not, you know. So um, sure. you know that that's really what started happening and I started really uh you know, understanding my, my thoughts, my feelings and you said something relatively recently about, you know, the the inner monologue that you have and being able to tell it to stop. You know, the, the meditation throughout the day has really, really helped out quite a bit and frankly I'm less stressed, much more happy, even though right now with a growing business and, uh, you know, more responsibility to the family and, you know, I still have bills to pay and I still have responsibilities, but life has just gotten fun. Like everything I do is, you know, maybe not as much fun as the next thing, but in all situations now things are challenges, they're opportunities and they're not, you know, shoot, I need to go ahead and do this or whatever the case is. I get to do this, you know, and that's, that's, I think really the major turning point for me.
0: And you mentioned earlier the internal dialogue and I I love prepping for each podcast episode, but I recently did one that was perhaps one of my favorite and it's about how I missed an addiction. I talk about how I conquered alcohol and all this stuff. Like it's a pretty long list and I'm extremely proud of it, but I missed a big one one so big that if I tackled that first, the other ones might have simply just faded away, and that was the thinking. And we hear it in the 12-step rooms. It's a thinking disease. Can you comment more on that and how you have strived and successfully calmed your brain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's actually one of my favorite subjects, too. But really what it was is, is in realizing, well, part of it was also is that the the job I got into, I, I uh, got into uh, emotional intelligence quite a bit, which actually... If you look into emotional intelligence, it has a lot of parallels with 12 steps, you know, and it's a way of living. And quite honestly, a lot of it is, uh, you know, calming your self-doubt and everything. And most of it is, you know, in thinking, you know, evolution has, has programmed us to learn from the past and try to predict the future. You know, we're, we're very feeble animals when it really comes down to it. And as a result, you know, our, our intellect is really what's gotten us through However, in in modern times, I guess the situation seems to have become less life threatening. But we think about it more, and we don't have the, I guess, really the internal need to go ahead and be like, oh crap, okay, I need to go gather water today. I need to go ahead and boil that water so I don't get sick. I need to go ahead and hunt out food. I need a place to store it. I need all this. You don't have those things to keep you busy, so. In my world, everything I thought about was just a reflection of the past that quite frankly didn 't necessarily impact the future or impact my present situation and all I did was scheme for the future and quite honestly, I missed life I missed being there I missed my my, my daughter 's first year of life as a result of that exact thing, and then drinking through it so really the the, the suffering that I had was really all in my head, and you know when when I got to particularly the, the 11th step. and I had read how Elrod's Miracle Morning and whatnot and I was trying to do all of those things at once. you know wake up early, you know put your your uh, all the things you like to do in the beginning part of the day you know instead of trying to do them at the end. So I, I started changing my behavior and I, I lived so close to Lake Michigan that I started waking up uh, earlier this summer and going down there and, and watching the sunrise and uh, you know the sun comes up over the lake. Uh, facing the east and there there's something powerful that happened is once the sun broke, like you'd have this beautiful sky and the sun broke and it came up over the water and slowly the rays of the sunlight, you know, came all the way across the water and they, they touch you, you know, they, they point directly at you. And no matter where you're at on that coastline, you know, it's always your perspective that that sun is coming directly at you. And something kind of magical happened, you know, at that point where I was just at such peace and, you know, able to be in such a a meditative state that I finally kind of understood. There's something written, uh, I believe, in the 11th tradition of the the 12 and 12 about, um, you know, in self forgetting, we begin to understand a sense of belonging. And I finally got it where I was always looking for purpose in life and what I came to realize is that I belong to the moment. I belong to this exact time, however it may be. You know, this is, this is my moment. Or not my moment. This is a, a moment that I've been blessed to be part of. And that kind of, I mean, I'm kind of getting a little, like, sentimental, like, thinking about it. But it was just, uh, you know, the walk homes or the, the walks home from, uh, from those situations. I was always in such, a, such an awesome mood because I was so grateful you know, and I just was so accepting of everything else that was going on around me. So that, to me, was really how I started to calm my brain. And then, you know, just in every certain situation, once you stop worrying about things and you can accept them, and once I found that, you know, you can be grateful for for what's around you, it's actually kind of easy to just be in the moment because it's just it's so awesome. You know, so not worrying about the past leads you to not have regret or you know, doubt about what you've done. Everything is the way that it should have been to get you to where you are now, and everything that will happen in the future is the way it's supposed to be. I believe that, and you know, I'm I'm just grateful to be here now and for the blessings that I have been that have been bestowed upon me.
0: Aaron, I love what you said about going down and watching the sunrise, and I do this myself, and I I recommend for listeners to place themselves in in moments. For me, it's nature where there you can you can calm the mind and feel the sense of unity the connection like we're all connected with trees with plants etc and when you watch the sun come up and and you feel that you don't think like okay the earth is turning but if you feel and say oh my gosh we're on a spaceship without a roof what's happening we're we're spinning and there's this burning burning star out there and i'm feeling it's rays you're feeling the energy the heat it's quite incredible and then you feel the sense of unity um that's really what i've been going after for the last uh like I don't know, last well in sobriety, but especially the last five to eight months of my of my recovery. Um uh, and Aaron, I want to talk to you more about the why. We've heard of drinking as but a symptom. And do you know why you drink?
1: I doubt I thought about this a lot. I, I think it was, you know, a lot of at first social anxiety and then it was a lot of self doubt. And I think that uh over time it became a physical addiction. Couldn't get really by without it. And it had also become part of my part of who I was to the outside world. You know, everybody knew that they could go get a beer with Aaron, you know? And so the why behind drinking, I mean, it's it's half lifestyle and it's half, you know, just being insecure.
0: I, I love your answer to that. The why, you know, there were some, some components that happened earlier in your life, but then the why is because you become physically addicted to it. Hands start shaking, sweating withdrawals. Yeah. Like alcohol for me wasn't the problem until it became a pretty big problem. Physically, I was addicted to it. Right. So I love your answer there. And walk us through a typical day of recovery in your life, Aaron.
1: Um, Yeah, I try to wake up early. You know, that's, uh, I would say, maybe about five out of seven days a week, I uh, get up, uh, you know, by about 5.15. I try to take some time to, you know, really just uh, shut my mind completely off. And, uh, you know, I'm a very visual person, so when that happens these little kind of dreamlike visions come to me and it's it's actually kind of a fun little walk in the park um but it really kind of calms me down uh for the rest of the day and then i really enjoy uh spending time with my kids now so even seeing them off to school playing with my daughter she's been a gigantic part of my recovery she's four now and uh she asks some of the most profound questions you know it's why is the sky blue or my favorite actually was uh, her looking at the speedometer in the car and asking me, uh, you know, what, what does the clock do right there? What does that clock with the the orange needle do? And uh, I said, well, you can make, you know, it tells us that we're going slower, we're going faster. And you know, I pushed on the gas and I said, see, now we're going faster. And she just kind of looked at me and she said, you know, from the back seat, she's like, Deb, why would we ever want to go faster? And I know what she meant, but to me, I was just like, I don't know, sweetie, I just don't know. <laughs> like, so. Kind of a, a, a slow down type of situation. God, you had a um, Zen master. Really
0: you had a Zen master in the back seat there. Why do we want to go faster in
1: life, Dad? Yeah, you see, they, no, they they'll ask some questions that you're just like, you know what? I just wow, you know, it's very profound. But yeah, watching her childlike innocence and everything, and being a part of that, you know, the, you're not going to get, you know, that that's not going to be around always. So having those moments are incredibly special to me. So I try to spend as much time as I can with my family, you know, and then I I work, you know, I I have a job now with a ton of autonomy, which I, I can do, you know, at my will, which actually makes me work maybe a little bit more, a little harder, but I can, I can shut it off and not be, you know, totally expected to be sitting in a chair doing nothing, you know? So it allows me a lot of, a lot of freedom, to uh, be able to, to do things and go places. And, so you know, twice to four times a week, I'm at AA meetings, participating in fellowship, you know, spending time with, with a lot of a lot of people, you know, talking about, you know, recovery and, and helping each other out. And it's not all, you know, down to business, you know, there's a lot of fun that's involved in that. So, yeah, I mean, my days are, are filled back to back with either, you know, things that I, I love working on or, Spending time with family, spending time with friends—it's uh, really what I've been doing.
0: And with Aaron 2.0, what's on your bucket list in recovery?
1: Machu Picchu for sure. My friends, so I definitely want to get down there. I want to travel. My big thing now is is really making sure that uh, I'm a I'm at a lifestyle that is uh, sustainable. You know, so I've got my my house and everything, and I've got my my job. But now it's it definitely. Trying to figure that future financial piece out, which is more of a game, and you know, getting professional help to do that, you know, not doing it myself. But ultimately, I want to get to a point where, uh, you know, I, I can hang up the work, work aspect, and you know, do a little bit of travel, uh, make sure I can can be a part of uh, my family's life for as long as I'm around.
0: <laughs> this is interesting. You said Machu Picchu. I'm in like a, like a time warp right now. It's I'm recording this on October 5th. This comes out on. November 26th. In three days, I leave to Machu Picchu. <laughs> so, And who knows, this might be a yearly trip. And we did Bozeman two years ago, and everyone was like, we need to make this yearly. I don't know. I think it's going to be a fantastic trip. I know it's going to be a fantastic trip, but there's a small chance, Aaron, you and I will be able to go to Machu Picchu together. <laughs> and, uh, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> and before we get to the rapid fire round, Aaron, um, if we can chat about this, I'd love to. Can you talk to us about a text that was meant to go to your sponsor, but actually went to the president of your company?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, I love this, by the way. Yeah, we can talk about it, and I don't think that anybody's going to be listening that will, uh, that will, will bust me out. My, my former company went through some very, very tough times, and they had to lay me off. When I went uh, more, more independent and started offering what I did as a, as a service, yeah, he reapproached me, and, and at that time, you know, he had to lay off the rest of his staff and kind of start to rebuild. And at that time, you know, he he had been approaching me, and people that had very very hurt feelings were also approaching me, and I, I realized that you know it was it wasn't about me picking sides; it was about you know me making people feel better about the situation and feel more hopeful. Uh, about the future really kind of letting them know that things happen for a reason and you know sometimes what seems like a catastrophe can be the best thing that ever happened to you and I had this insight (laughs) I I think I was reading a text from the the president of that company and uh, you know I I ended up writing my sponsor uh, this big long-winded answer you know about like here's what I think's going on and I, I shouldn't do this and I should do that. And it would, if, if not for the program, I don't think I would have thought this way. But you know, I think this is my purpose in this current situation. And it was one of those texts that I probably should have just put in an email because it was long. And I hit send. And I got back a, a text that I was expecting from my sponsor. And it was just like, before you go saying any of that, let's sit down and talk about the real situation. <laughs> and, the of this. and I'm just like, holy shit. I just sent that to the president of the company, oh. <laughs> and it was one of those things. I was just like, "Oh my God, delete!" And like, I, I called my sponsor, and he was like, "You know what? This is this is a huge acceptance moment. You know, it, it, that happened for a reason." And uh, sure enough, you know, I, I think that gave uh, my the former my, my former boss the, the confidence once he reread it, and I told him, you know, "Hey, I, I send that. I send those texts every day to my therapist. You know, if I didn't want to, you know, bust myself out that I had been uh, in recovery." And uh, I think he reread it, and that ended up resulting in uh, you know my company getting a, a sizable contract to help rebuild the firm that I had formerly worked for aaron
0: i 'm racking my brain right now to think of an incident where an accidental coming out has resulted in something negative, and i 've heard plenty of stories of this and the oh. cafe r e groups. Um, it happens occasionally where they're like, Hey guys, I thought I was posting in cafe re I posted on my personal Facebook page. People think the planets are going to fall out of orbit, but the positive response that we get, and I've accidentally done it too. I cannot think I'm trying to rack my brain right now. They're always positive outcomes. Just like you mentioned, I love it. And actually, before we get to the uh, rapid fire round, talk to me about the pennies in your car.
1: Oh, you were going to bring us up, weren't you? Oh yeah.
0: Cause <laughs> yeah. I had pennies too.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and, and first of all, before I, you know, um, I get going, I I did want to give one quick shout out, Molly. Thank you for introducing me to Cafe Ari. It's been a huge help, but, uh, the pennies in my car. So it's one of the, you know, you're an alcoholic gift lines. And, uh, you know, ever since I was probably, probably ever since I was about 20 years old, I, I kept pennies in a tray in the cockpit of my car, in case I got pulled over, um, I had heard of an old wives' tale that if you sucked on a penny, it would throw off the breathalyzer. And uh, I, I, they were there all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, when, whenever I got pulled over, I, I threw a penny in my mouth and, and sucked on it because there would be often be times that even if it was eight o'clock in the morning, I was late for a meeting and, oh goodness, I get pulled over. Um, I might still smell like alcohol from the last night. Matter of fact, I might still be drunk. Mm-hmm. And good thing I'd never ended up hurting anybody you know doing that stuff but yeah those pennies were always there and, and when i uh got sober and i realized they were still there I, I cleaned them out and i just realized how stupid that entire logic was i mean you literally had oxidized pennies for me sucking on them and throwing back in this tray it's so gross but yeah another one of you're gonna bring up all my embarrassing stuff today aren't you Well, we've all got
0: so many of these, and it's how we. It's just like we're not addressing the problem at all. (laughs) Like, it's just. And we've all done it. We've all done it. It's kind of the insanity of the disease. Aaron, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am. All right. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Oh, my worst memory from drinking. There's so many of them, but I think it had to have been when I had woken up at about four o'clock in the morning and my, my infant daughter was, was screaming for a diaper change. And I went in there, my hands were shaking so badly that I couldn't do it. So I left her on the changing table and I, I ran downstairs and I, I drank one of my quote unquote morning beers, uh, in order to, you know, have my hand stop shaking. And about three minutes later, I came back up, changed your diaper and went back to bed. And, you know, I, I didn't sleep because I realized how horrible that was.
0: Hmm. It was already the aha moment. When was your Oh shit moment, Indicating the gig was up.
1: Uh, it was long before I stopped drinking. You know, when people at uh, work, you know, I, I was twice approached. At uh, once, when I was consulting, and uh, once at my former employer by, uh, you know, the, kind of the main bosses saying, "Hey, if you ever decide to stop drinking, then uh, we're here to support you." And I didn't, but I, that was definitely a uh, an indication that you know other people recognize that you know, I, I drink heavily. And one of those individuals, I mean, he was a gigantic man you know probably six, seven, six, eight, you know, pushing 300 pounds but not, not like he was obese. He was just a huge dude. And uh, he even mentioned, he's like, Hey, dude, you can go one for one with me, dude. That's not something good. I'm five, eight and about 175 pounds. Hmm. So that was uh it was definitely a wake up call, but it didn't, it didn't really stop me from drinking. It just got the, it just implanted in my head that I did have a problem.
0: And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: My plan in sobriety moving forward, I want to see this happen more and more. My, uh, my grand sponsor keeps talking about, you know, people talk about optimism and pessimism as the cup being half full and, or, or half empty. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that as, as, as you progress in sobriety, you know, that cup becomes more and more full. And what, uh, what he says and I've started to see it is that, you know, once it starts to reach the brim and you don't think that you can have much more fulfillment, the cup just gets bigger. And I want to see that continue to happen. I want to, I you know, live a life full of enrichment and fulfillment, you know, and however that may come about, that's the way that it is, you know, but uh, you know, the only way that I'm going to get there is that if I continue on this path and I, I think I'm, I'm hooked on something else now I'm hooked on recovery, so that's kind of where uh, where things are at
0: and what's your favorite resource in recovery?
1: you know i very early on it was you sir, you know uh cafe uh, uh you know i haven't joined cafe r e uh you know at this point but i I think I will especially when you go to the forum um but the the podcast itself you know molly uh who's somebody who Lives in a remote area where she can't get to to AA or anything like that. You know, she was uh, somebody that I went to college with, and she turned me on to uh, you know Cafe Aria in the early stages of uh, of recovery, where I was still very confused about what these thoughts were in my head and what these feelings that I don't I didn't think I felt before. You know what they were. You know, I did a lot of housework listening to episode after episode uh, of the podcast, so it was definitely uh, one of my favorite. Um, resources and recovery, but, um, I have to say to, to, to mix with that, you know, I I do a lot of AA, I've got a a couple of groups that, that I'm very intimate with that, uh, you know, have a a lot of incredibly successful people in life, maybe not, you know, some professionally, some in family, some, you know, and in their personal lives or whatnot. Uh, but they all have something to, for me to learn from and hopefully i'm able to give back and, and they're able to learn from me but the fellowship at AA, uh, has really been a huge huge resource for me
0: in regards to sobriety aaron what's the best advice you've ever received
1: uh don't drink
0: <laughs> hang on let me write that down real quick
1: <laughs> <laughs> no the best advice is get honest with yourself you know get honest with yourself about it you know so when it comes down to, to people relapsing and whatnot, you know, it, it's okay as long as you learn, you know, but, um, you know, sobriety dates, I don't think really mean much, but it's what you take away from it, you know? So honesty with yourself is probably the biggest lesson in recovery.
0: And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners?
1: Uh, don't quit before the miracle happens.
0: And hey Aaron, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line.
1: Well, yeah, I've, I've talked about them. If you keep pennies in your car to throw off breathalyzers, then you might be an alcoholic. And if you secretly drink boxed vodka from a solo cup with a mixture of powdered Gatorade and hose water to determine whether or not you're a normie, you're definitely an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, that test was solved before you even started the, the test. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure meeting you in person, and I hope to see you again in person at the Bozen Retreat and perhaps on Machu Picchu.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you.
0: A couple episodes ago, I talked about Ireland and how they had legislation on the table regarding alcohol. Here's some news. On October 10th, the Irish Senate adopted a law introducing a minimum price for alcohol, the law also introduces mandatory labels on alcoholic drinks to warn about the risks of drinking. It is the first law in Ireland that treats alcohol as a matter of public health. The new legislation affects the price, access, marketing, advertising, and labeling of alcohol in a move aimed at reducing the destructive consumption of alcohol in Ireland. Thank you, Ireland, for great musical acts such as Flogging Molly, The Young Dubliners, Dropkick Murphys, and thank you for getting this legislation correct on alcohol. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We took a whole hell of a lot of Inca Trail steps back up. We, as a community, as in everybody coming together, can do this.